0: Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the gospel according to John chapter 5. We will read the first 18 verses together. The text, which I will not reread, is verses 1 through 9. John 5, verse 1 After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed, wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Thus far we read the divinely inspired scripture. As announced, the text is verses 1 through 9. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the opening words of the text in verse 5 are after this and then what follows. What we have here is the conclusion of the first section of the book of the gospel according to John, in which John is describing the early part of the ministry of our Lord in Jerusalem, Samaria, and Galilee. That's concluded now. After this... And now the inspired writer is transitioning into his explanation of the next section of Jesus' ministry in which he will describe the increasing hostility and the hatred of the Jews of Jerusalem. One of the reasons this miracle at the pool is so significant is that it was done on the Sabbath day. That's indicated in the last clause of the text, verse 9. And on the same day was the Sabbath day. Deliberately, Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day in order to create a controversy with these Jews so that he could expose their cruelty toward this man who was healed, and especially their murderous hatred of him, the one who healed the man On the Sabbath day. So that by the time we get to verse 18. We read. Therefore the Jews sought the more. To kill him. So John is showing us. How all things are moving. For the fulfillment of the counsel of God. In the hatred of Jesus. Leading finally. To the Jews taking him. And crucifying him. On the cross. However. Tonight. Tonight. We leave aside all that hatred and hostility toward Jesus in order to consider what he did at the pool of Bethesda. This marvelous, fascinating miracle told nowhere else in the sacred scripture. A story we love to tell at home, at school, and in catechism class because the details are so vivid What a beautiful miracle. So let's go now to the pool of Bethesda and see what our Lord did. Considering these first nine verses under the theme made to walk at Bethesda, we'll look first at the miracle itself, second, the significance of it, and then third, the source of it. The miracle took place in Jerusalem at the pool of Bethesda. Now we need to get a feel for what Jerusalem was like at this time. We read in verse one, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. If this was not the Passover, and it very well may have been, then it was another one of the significant annual religious feasts. And so, Jerusalem was, clo- was crowded with pilgrims who had come from all over to commemorate this great feast. There would have been thousands and thousands of Jews all throughout Jerusalem so that the whole city, but especially the temple complex, was bustling with activity. Not surprising then that we read later in verse 13 that there was a multitude in that place. Now, that massive temple complex was not situated right in the middle of the city. It was actually built to the north and to the east and right alongside of the wall that wrapped around the city. And right on the other side of the wall, adjacent to the temple, moving away from the wall, was the Pool of Bethesda. Now, in the wall between the temple, And the pool is what verse 2 calls the sheep market, or better, the sheep gate. You have all these pilgrims who are traveling a great distance, and they're not going to bring a sacrifice with them. So they put a few shekels in their pocket. And then as soon as they come to Jerusalem, they need to buy themselves a lamb for a sacrifice, It was right here at the sheep gate that all of the sheep are being fed and herded and watered. And so you have all of this chaos and this noise, not only of all the pilgrims in the city, all these Jews gathering around the temple complex, but you have all these shepherds, these men at the sheep gate shouting and sheep bleating as the sheep are being herded into the city. And now adjacent to that is the pool of Bethesda. This pool was not a, a natural spring-fed pool, as many were, but it was actually man-made. And it was enormous. According to verse 2, it had not one or two, but five porches. And these porches would have been roof coverings, supported by vertical columns all around the pool so that people could sit under these porches and have an escape from the intensity of the sun. Well, here at the pool, there was an extraordinary scene. The pool was so crowded that according to verse 3, there was a great multitude. But, these were not mothers on their chairs or reclining on their towels sitting under these pavilions while their children were frolicking in the water. This wasn't a pool party. It looked more like a battlefield hospital or a rehabilitation hospital for within all of these porches were what verse 3 calls the impotent folk, the severely disabled we have the blind who could not see, the halt who could not move, could not walk, and the withered who were essentially paralyzed so that they could not move. Now imagine being a little child and walking up to this pool and standing there and peering from a distance. Who has ever seen or heard of anything like this, an enormous pool, and surrounding the whole pool are all these severely disabled people. What is going on? Well, according to verse 4, there was an angel that went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. We don't know how often this angel appeared, we don't know when this angel first appeared. We don't know whether the angel's appearance, we don't know whether he made a, a visible appearance so that you could actually see him. But every so often, at, at a certain season, the angel would come down and he would stir up the water, trouble it. And the very first person to get into the pool was immediately healed. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. The problem is that no one could get into the pool unassisted. There weren't demoniacs here. The, demon, the deaf and the dumb were not here. They can all walk. They, they could even run. But what you have at this pool are all these impotent folk. None of them can move. Though you have the blind who can walk, they all need directional assistance. They can't move on their own. And so only those who are fortunate enough to have some family or friends there who could help lift them up and carry them or give them some directional assistance, only they had an opportunity to get into the pool for this great healing. Now, clearly, the appearance of the angel created a great deal of excitement. Because the man of verse 7 says, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. So you can imagine this frenzy. And as soon as anyone discerns the waters are being troubled by the angel, everyone is rushing to get into the pool. Having hope of the curing of an incurable disease. First one in is immediately healed, and then the hopes were dashed for everyone else. So there they all were, waiting and waiting for the stirring of the water. Now, the whole narrative focuses on one particular man who, according to verse 5, had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Few people experience misery as this man did. First of all, he couldn't walk for 38 years. Can you imagine not walking for, I don't know, let's say a month? Moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, you cannot walk for a month For this man, it was 38 years. And he doesn't have wheelchairs and handicap accessible buildings as we do. 38 years he had been at the mercy of others. Evidently he could inch because he says in verse 7, while I am coming, another step down before me. While I am coming. And that... Leaves me with the impression that he could lie on his stomach and then lift up his head and his shoulders, and then probably with his elbows, he could inch and drag himself so that he says, While I am coming. But he couldn't walk, so he had that little mattress because if he ever wanted to get anywhere, even from this house next door to that house, he always needed at least two, three, four able-bodied males who could take him, full-grown man, roll him onto his mattress, his thin padded pallet, little bed, and then one, two, three, every man at a corner, lift. And they lift up the lame man, and then they have to carry him from one place to the next. That's how he lived for 38 years. Years. Secondly, he had no friends. He had no family to show him mercy. We read in verse 6, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, or better, in that place, someone brought him to the pool. How did he get there? Someone carried him. But obviously, They came to the conclusion that they can't waste their life sitting here day after day after week after week waiting. So they all left and went back home. And now this man is here all alone. It's bad enough that everyone at the pool is disabled, but at least they have friends and family waiting with them so that when the water is stirred, they can help try to get them first into the pool. But not this man. He had no one. And it's not as if he could start yelling out, I'll give you a hundred pence. Anyone? Anyone around? I'll pay you a hundred pence if you help me get into the pool. He didn't even have a poor widow's mite. He was a lame man with nothing but a mattress. Miserable. Third and finally, to make matters worse yet, he was lost in the chaos and noise, the cacophony of the great multitude, all these people in the city and at the temple and at the sheep gate and around the pool, and he's lost among all these people. If he were the only one at the pool, then a passerby might notice him and help him. Or if he were the only one, then when the angel came and stirred the waters, it didn't matter if it took him two days to inch into the pool, he could get in and be healed. But he was lost in this great multitude of people all by himself. And surely his sob day and night was, is there not one, not even one among the thousands in Jerusalem who will have even a little bit Of compassion upon me? And then to this pool came our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came walking in the pool area. And he came up to this man. And he did not immediately reveal that he is the second person of the Holy Trinity made flesh. That he is the omniscient God who, according to verse 6, knew all about this man and his case and condition before he ever met him. Jesus didn't immediately reveal who he really was because he asked the man, verse 6, Wilt thou be made whole? What kind of question is that? Do you want to be healed? Of course I want to be healed. We all want to be healed. That's why we're at the pool. Do you want to be healed? Well, Jesus asked that question to impress upon this man the conscious realization of his desperate condition and to draw out of this man a verbal expression of how desperate his condition really was. And that's exactly what happened. So that the man responds according to verse 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Yes, I want to be healed. The only way to be healed is to get into that pool. Here's my problem. I don't have a man who can get me into the water. He sees the water as the only possibility of his deliverance. Well then come those astonishing words that ought never to lose their marvel to us. The wonder of those words when according to verse 8 Jesus said unto him rise, take up thy bed and walk. Jesus commands the impossible and immediately 38 years of misery ended. Immediately, verse 9, the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. Immediately, let all the so-called faith healers take note. And immediately, at the word of Jesus, the man stood up. He did not struggle to regain his strength, to wait for feeling to come back into his legs. He didn't stand up and struggle to gain his balance and have to be trained how to put one foot in, full in front of the other and relearn how to walk. He immediately stood up, grabbed his mattress, and walked away. And you can imagine the awe, the questions, in the people in his porch and the other porches what is this what has just happened and who is this man who spoke these words and where is he where did he go and you can imagine the thrill deep within the soul of this man having not walked for 38 years now he's walking by his own power how he must have been elated as now he's doing The unthinkable, he's walking with his own legs and off he goes. What efficacious power our Savior has with his word. There was no physician in Jerusalem who could have healed this man, no matter his expertise and his knowledge. But Jesus did immediately by the power of his word. And that's so striking at the pool of Bethesda. at the pool of Bethesda. All these people were here. A multitude was at the pool because there was healing power in that water when the angel came down. And now here's this man at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus did not use the pool to heal him. He doesn't call the angel down from heaven. He doesn't call more angels to pick this man up and bring him first into the pool. Jesus ignores the pool. He doesn't even use the pool to show his sovereignty and power, especially the power of his word. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And so we have an impotent, Made to walk at, not in. He never went in the pool. Made to walk at the pool of Bethesda. Made to walk by the sovereign Savior's word. That's the miracle. Let's go deeper now and consider the significance of it. If it's a miracle, it has saving significance. If all that happened at the pool is the physical healing of this man that everyone could see with the eye, then there's really very little comfort for us as sinners. Sure, it's very comforting to know our Savior is omniscient and merciful and he can heal disabled people. But how comforting is that to me tonight if I'm not disabled? And even if you are disabled, Jesus stopped performing these miracles some 2,000 years ago. In fact, if all we have is a physical healing visible to the eye, there really is no significance for the man himself. He's been lame for 38 years. Now, we don't know how old he was when he became lame. Let's just say he lives 10 more years. Let's say he lives 20 more years. Now he's got his legs, and he can walk around through the city of Jerusalem. He can go walking down the paths outside of the city. That's very wonderful. But then he's going to die, and he's going to go to hell. And then you ask him in hell, how significant was that miracle that gave you the power to walk. And the man will say, I don't care anything about the fact that I could walk on earth. Do you have a little bit of cold water to put on my tongue? I'm being tormented here in this flame. Who cares that I could walk, that I had strong legs on earth? I'm being tormented. There's no significance for the man if all we have is a physical healing. Maybe a little significance for a little while. The sovereign Savior did not come to heal, merely to heal, physical infirmities. Now, too many churches today sponsor the greedy televangelizing faith healers, and too many have perverted the true gospel of salvation by from sin by grace in order to, to proclaim a prosperity gospel and to declare Jesus the great healer and that we need to go into all the earth to help people be healed of all of their physical infirmities. To be sure, let as many as can be healed, be healed. And thanks be to God that we have all of the advancements of medicine and technology today to help us in our infirmities. But Jesus did not come merely to heal physical diseases. He is the Savior from sin who saves sinners. And what we have in the passage is a miracle. And a miracle is a powerful and unusual act of God that reveals some aspect of our salvation in Jesus what we have in this miracle is the power of God in heaven breaking through the heavens into the earthly realm through the word of Jesus coming to this man at the pool causing him to walk physically as a picture of an aspect of our salvation that Jesus can cause Spiritually impotent sinners to walk. That's the grand reality and significance. The great misery of this man is his spiritual impotency, according to which he, as a totally depraved sinner, was unable to walk in spiritual activities commanded. By God. His problem is that he couldn't walk. And that's why Jesus says in verse 8, Rise, take t- rise, take up thy bed and walk. Walking is the issue here. Walking is the issue for every single person in all five of the porches. None of them can walk. And even the blind who can walk need help with directional assistance in walking. They all have, they all share the same misery. They cannot walk. And now you think about that spiritually, biblically, theologically, and you come to the reality. This man was spiritually impotent. Number one, he could not walk in good works of obedience. Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This man could not walk in good works. He could not obey God. He could not worship God from the heart. He could not keep the Sabbath day from the heart. He could not honor authority from the heart. He could not keep his vessel chaste in sexual purity. He could not be content and honest in his heart. He couldn't do good to his neighbor. This man could not walk in good works. But let's go deeper. In the second place, he could not walk in love. Ephesians 5 verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also had loved us. He couldn't. He couldn't walk in obedience because he couldn't love God. And he couldn't love his neighbor as himself. He couldn't even love his own parents. All he had in his natural heart was hatred and selfishness. He could not walk in love. Let's go deeper. Third, he could not walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith. Not by sight. Not this man. He could not walk in obedience and he could not walk in love because he did not have the good root of faith. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in the Messiah. He didn't believe in the Old Testament Scriptures as the Word of God. And if you were his friend and you saw him in these these 38 years of misery and you came alongside him on his mattress and you said, Brother... Brother, put your trust in God. His loving kindness is better than life. He wouldn't, he couldn't, he could not walk by faith. The misery of the man is that he couldn't walk spiritually. And Jesus confirms that later when he meets him in the temple. And we read in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more. And then that chilling word, Lest a worse thing come unto thee. This man was living in sin. And God came unto him with his temporal judgment and made him impotent. He brought something bad unto him. and Now he warns him, you better not sin anymore lest a worse thing come unto thee. Well, that's another matter for another time. The issue here is sin no more. The point is he had been walking in sin, walking in unbelief, walking in hatred, walking in disobedience. That was the great problem for this man. His great misery is not that he couldn't walk on his two legs to and fro in the city of Jerusalem, but he could not walk in any of the spiritual activities commanded by God so that he lived his days under the condemning wrath of God with a guilty conscience. The deep misery of this man is not that he had no friend or companion at the pool to help him get into the water, Sir, I have no man to put me into the water. The great misery of the man is that he had no man. He had no man, no son of man, no savior to redeem his soul from to, from destruction and to crown him with loving kindness and tender mercy. He had no soul savior. The great misery of the man is not that he was lost in a crowd of Jewish worshipers during a feast day, but he was lost in the great crowd of unregenerate humanity where all men are according to their sinful nature on the broad and wide path and running, spiritually running in the way of sin that leads to everlasting destruction. That was his misery. His great misery was not that he was living an apparently useless life because while other men could go out into the fields and they could farm and they could shepherd their sheep and they could leave their house and go on a pilgrimage and come to Jerusalem and celebrate the feast day, walking right into the temple complex, all he could do is lie on his mattress day after day after day and he couldn't do anything, living apparently a useless life. No, no, that wasn't his misery. His misery is that he didn't possess the one and only life that truly gives meaning to your existence, and that is eternal life with God. He didn't have it. He didn't know it. The great misery of the man is that he was a son of Adam. He possessed the corruption of Adam on account of which, and now we come to the heart of it all, on account of which, he was not only unable, but he was unwilling to walk in the spiritual activities commanded by God. That's quite a question when you think about it. Verse 6, wilt Thou be made whole. Do you have the will to be made whole? And of course, the answer is well, yeah, I have the will to be made whole. I just don't have a man, I don't have the ability to be made whole. According to his physical condition, he had the will but he had no ability to be made whole. His spiritual condition is far worse because spiritually, he not only has no ability to be made whole, he has no will. His problem goes all the way down to his will. No desire to walk in a way pleasing to the Lord. And so what we have in this man is the perfect illustration of who we all are by nature, according to the flesh. A perfect illustration of an unconverted friend, co-worker, family member, who does not believe, does not love God, does not obey God. He, she is just like this man, lame, spiritually. And we have a perfect picture of of who we all are still according to our flesh. And in our flesh, in which dwelleth no good thing. It is not automatic that we wake up in the morning and we just believe. And we just love God. And we just walk in obedience to God. That's not automatic. Because according to our flesh, we begin each day Not believing, not loving, and not desiring to walk in obedience. There is no good thing in our flesh. And does not this man's condition expose the folly of the Arminian heresy condemned by the National Synod of Dortrecht, 1618-1619, Because the Arminian heresy teaches that all of salvation is in Jesus, for salvation is by grace alone. It's all in Jesus. But now you have a free will, and it's up to you to exercise your free will and come to Jesus to receive his salvation. There is no sinner who has a free will and will exercise his free will and come to Jesus. No sinner of his own strength will come to Jesus and will walk with Jesus any more than anyone in any of those porches could of his own power stand up and go walking into the pool of Bethesda. Of our own strength, we have no will, no desire, no ability to come to Jesus or to walk with Jesus. The issue for us spiritually, goes all the way down, deep, 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 deep down to our depraved will. That's how bad we are by nature. All the way down to the will, we have no desire to walk in the, com- in the activities commanded by God. So the significance of the miracle Is not only in this man's spiritual condition, but now also in the healing that Jesus provides by the power of his word. The result of the miracle is that the man, verse 9, was made whole. Again, verse 14, Jesus says, Behold, our made whole, spiritually whole, not just physically, spiritually. Already at the pool, life filled this man's soul, and there was evidence. The evidence is found in verse 9. He took up his bed. That's striking. Here lies this mattress, which was his means of transportation. He will never need that mattress again. Now he can walk. And as soon as he picks it up and he goes outside the pool gate, and he starts walking through the city, it'll be lined with Pharisees, and they're all going to charge him for desecrating the Sabbath day because he was carrying his bed. Why in the world did this man carry his bed? He doesn't need it, and he's only going to be ridiculed for it. Because Jesus commanded it, and he is immediately walking in obedience to Jesus. Immediately, he was made spiritually whole. Now, it's true. The man doesn't even understand who Jesus is yet, and that'll come out in his conversation with the Pharisees, and Jesus will reveal himself to the man in the temple and and make things clear to him. But there's already spiritual life in his heart. And Jesus will keep drawing that out. Jesus made him whole. And Jesus makes us whole. And he does it by the power of his word. That's what stands out here in this miracle. The sovereign, efficacious power of Jesus' word to make sinners whole. Jesus didn't come to the pool and start begging this man. Pleading with this man to walk. Jesus did not present him with a so-called well-meant offer. Whereby he expresses love for this man. And he offers this man the opportunity to walk again. If Jesus comes and offers this man something well-meaningly. The man will never walk. He's going to die there, and then he's going to go to hell. Jesus comes by his sovereign, irresistible, efficacious word, the powerful word of the gospel, which includes that sovereign, efficacious call. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk, so that there is not only the presentation of the glorious Savior Jesus, But that command of the impossible rise and walk and through that command Jesus Christ by his spirit goes right into the heart of the sinner and affects what he commands so that the man actually rises and walks by the power of Jesus. And that's the same miracle that Jesus works today in the preaching of the gospel. So that by his word, he makes us whole. He creates faith in us. He creates life in us. He fills our hearts with love. He gives to us the desire to obey. And he does that by the power of his efficacious word. So you come to church on Sunday, doubting, hating, disobeying. And in the gospel, Jesus says, rise up and walk. And he sends you back home walking by faith and walking in love and walking in obedience by his sovereign word. And note the discriminating nature of that word. So that Jesus comes to this pool and no doubt there were many others in that particular porch where the lame man was who heard the words. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Others heard the words, but only one man stood up and walked away. That word is discriminating according to the decree of election. According to election, God makes that call a sovereign, irresistible, gracious call that affects salvation in the hearts of his elect people. What a significant miracle this is, showing the power of the Savior to cause the spiritually impotent to walk in obedience, in love, and by faith. Now let's conclude by looking at this whole miracle and everything our Lord did and tracing it all back to its source. And the source is taught in verse 2. Now, there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool. Which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda. Well, we don't know Hebrew, so we need a little help. Bethesda, in Hebrew, means House of mercy. And there you have it. The source of the miracle is the mercy of God. Bethesda was a very good name for this pool in light of what the angel was doing in that water and the healing that was happening. Mercy. And this is a very good name for this pool in light of what Jesus would come and do here for this man. Mercy. The mercy of God, God's mercy is one: God in heaven looking down and seeing a sinner in his miserable, wretched state. Two, God having compassion on that sinner. Three, God by His power taking that sinner, lifting him up and making him whole. That's mercy, and that's what God did at the pool of Bethesda. Look. At the mercy of God. All the way back in his eternal decree. When God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And before this man was ever born or ever did any good or ever did any evil. God eternally said, I will have mercy on that man. And he chose him in his eternal decree of election. Now go back to when this man was in year seven or year eight of his impotency to see the mercy of God see this man was lame for 38 years we don't know when he became lame at what point in his life but now it's been 38 years if you go back 30 years from this history roughly approximately 30 years when he's in year seven or eight of his condition God showed his mercy by sending his only begotten son into the womb of the Virgin Mary to be born in the town of Bethlehem so that he could one day save this man. Mercy, and this man didn't even know it. Sometime before this event, God showed his mercy to this man by bringing to him two, three, or four friends who said, let's do it. And they rolled him on his mattress, one, two, three. And they lifted it up and they carried this fellow all the way to the pool of Bethesda. And this man at that time had no idea, but that was the mercy of God for him. And now in his mercy, God sends Jesus to this pool so that this man thinks he's lost in this great crowd. No one sees him. No one hears his cries for mercy God in heaven did, and God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to that pool to speak his word and to cause him to walk. Mercy. And then two or or so years after this event, God would show his mercy to this man yet again in the greatest way when he would take this Jesus and lead him to the cross, which is for the man And for all of us, our Bethesda, our house of mercy, for there the mercy of God was revealed as never before when he sent Jesus to die to accomplish this man and our salvation. But that cross, though a house of mercy for us, was a house of judgment for Jesus because there Jesus would have to suffer all of God's wrath that this man deserved For all the sins he committed. And that we deserve for all of our sins. But Jesus was willing to suffer for him. And that's the mercy of God. And was there mercy there for Jesus? We have the same circumstances. It's a feast day. The city is crowded with pilgrims. There are people everywhere. It's the Passover. And there's Jesus outside the city. Hanging on that cross. Behold. And see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. And There he was all alone, not one to show compassion on him. But he willingly suffered for you and me and for this man. And on the third day he was raised with power, the power whereby he makes us who are impotent to walk. All of it. God's mercy for this man and for us. Bethesda, a house of mercy for Jesus' sake. And now this, the church of God is our Bethesda. This is the house of mercy. And this is where Jesus comes by his word every week. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk, causing the impotent to walk at Bethesda. Are you not believing right now? Maybe you have your own infirmity, physical infirmity, or some other adversity, And you are not trusting God right now and not believing that this is for your good and that God doeth all things well. Jesus says, rise and walk by faith. By that powerful word, He creates that faith in us and He causes us to walk by faith. Have you ever met a paralyzed Christian? In a wheelchair? I have. Probably most of you have. And you talk to a paralyzed Christian in a wheelchair, and a paralyzed Christian says, this is God's will for my life, and this is good. I trust him. He was made to walk spiritually at Bethesda. Are you not loving right now Have you spent this past week hating your brother? Maybe lying awake all night thinking of evil that you would like to bring upon your brother? Hating your brother? and Now you're in church tonight with a heart that doesn't love your brother? Jesus says, rise and walk in love. Do you not see the great love wherewith I have loved you? Unworthy sinner as you are, walk in love. By that very word, he creates love in us so that we impotent are made to walk at Bethesda and go home walking in love. (laughs) Are you not obeying right now? Let's say not keeping the Sabbath day. That was the issue of the day with these Jews. The one danger with the Sabbath is we make a hundred laws like the Jews and then we judge everyone else according to our laws. Or the other danger is that we say there is no law. There's no Sabbath commandment for us. I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. And maybe you say that. I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. And I'll go home and watch football if I want. And I'll buy things on Amazon if I want. I'll do whatever I want on the Sabbath. And your friend says... I'm concerned with you. You do not walk in obedience to God's fourth commandment. And you say, you, you stay out of my life. You know it all. You self-righteous man. Don't worry about me. And the brother says, but I am worried about you. I wonder, do you even love the Lord? The way you treat his day, the Lord's day... Brother, you look impotent to me. And if that's how we come to church, it's just a show being in church. But really the Lord's day is not the Lord's day for us. It's my day to do whatever I want. Then Jesus says, rise, walk in obedience to the fourth commandment. Yield yourself to the Lord this day. Love the Lord God with all of your heart. You have six days to work. This is his day. By that very powerful word, he sends us home grieving for all our disobedience against his commandment and desirous to walk in obedience to him. Made to walk at Bethesda. Thanks be to God for his great mercy. In Jesus Christ making us to walk. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. For the miracles of Jesus we have in the scriptures. We know them from our youth. All of them are so striking. And thanks for this one and the gospel word of it. Now send us home walking spiritually. To the praise of thy grace, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.